0: I would box William Shakespeare for charity. Would you? Hmm? This is The Greg Cody Show
1: with Greg Cody. Pardon it. Here's your host, Greg Cody.
0: Christmas lights! Hey! <laughs> is this a back in my day? What are we doing here?
1: It, it did sound like it, Christmas like.
0: I love that, um, by the way. That's I, one of my favorite things about back in my day is when, like, the first statement drawbridges. It's one of the sneaky good things about back in my day that you don't really think about, but it's really
1: good. <laughs> Thank you, uh, because I did back in my days for a, a good couple, three years without doing that. And then I forget how it began, but all of a sudden I started like blurting like a two word phrase to start it. But
0: something tells me that this is not going to be a positive thing about Christmas lights that you're about to go on.
1: Look, I don't know if I speak for the majority or even for you. I have a love hate relationship with Christmas lights. Okay, I do it every year. I'm up on my ladder. Neighbors are laughing at me. I'm falling off my ladder. Um, I love having done it. I love when the lights are all up and they're all working and it's a winter wonderland in 90 degree weather. I love that. Hate <laughs> doing it. Really I hate actually doing it. I yeah, think
0: because- I bet. It's, I bet it's because see, you don't have like me and Michael aren't young kids anymore. Like I feel like I enjoyed doing it this year because I have a three year old who like I can bring outside and she's like oh, and I like feel like I'm right. actually doing something that is bringing joy to her life. Like I mean, I guess your wife likes it, but like why are you still putting up Christmas? I appreciate <laughs> it. I mean, I come over your house right. like on sundays sometimes so like i appreciate that you still do it but like i feel like that i feel like that's might be why you don't like it anymore it's because you're saying to yourself secretly why am i still doing this
1: actually no uh i'm very much a traditionalist i mean i still put up halloween decorations you know i i do things that i've been doing for years and years and you know it's important to the wife and like you say you still enjoy it and my, my granddaughter comes over and she gets a thrill out of it. And
0: How's this work with Greg Cody when he's putting Christmas lights up? Are we a couple beers deep? Do we wait till after? Hey, what's, the, <laughs> what's the strategy here? Because we're going up on a ladder. And I know you only have a one-story house. So, you know. Right. Have you yeah. ever fallen off the roof Have you in all your years putting up Christmas lights? Have you ever had a little bit of a spill? Any kind of spill?
1: No, I have not. In all seriousness, I have not had any calamities. The, uh, the Miller Lights do not begin uh, <clears throat> prior to me ascending a ladder. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not stupid, but I'm not dumb. Uh, whatever that expression I find is. No, the, I, uh, I find
0: the scariest part about climbing a ladder and climbing your roof is when you're on the roof, getting back onto the ladder to go down is like the optimal time where it's like, this is where I sometimes feel like, oh.
1: Right. Yes, I'm, uh, I'm nervous on tall ladders. I, I going am. up That's is fine.
0: I... Going up is fine, actually. It's going down ladders, actually, that I don't
1: like. I mean, I take it so carefully. I'm like one step at a time and I'm very conscious of, of not imbalancing my weight. Wow. One step at a time, one
0: step at a time. That's quite a strategy you have there with your, uh, it really
1: is. Right. I mean, look, you can take two rungs at a time. That's been done. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, if if I'm, if I'm climbing a small ladder, you know, one of those um, A shaped ladders, uh, not an extension ladder, uh, I'll take two steps at a time going up. You know, I will ascend rapidly. Are we, having a, are we having a
0: telephone conversation or is this a podcast?
1: <laughs> it's a podcast. Where are we? Have we introduced <laughs> who the hell we are? <laughs> I've lost track. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, it's uh, welcome to the Greg Cody show with Greg Cody. Uh, Regal Royal episode number 40. And uh, Chris oh, Cody Christ, is with here us go. as always. Yes, it's episode number 40. It's a pa day. You know that uh, I love we, we have this every 10 episodes, folks. I want a big party. And Christopher's like, ah, eh, that's too much work for me. No, we've done this bit seven times. Trouble. We're 40 years
0: old. We've done this bit seven times already. You want to celebrate 25, 30, 36,
1: 40. Like, come on. But you've convinced me. Uh, we're, we'll skip the big deal for the ones ending in five. But to me, when they end in zero, it's uh, it's a pretty big deal. So, And, and God knows what I'm going to do when we turn 50. Oh, my God. Cry, oh my God. Probably. But do me this. Just give me some bells and whistles. That's all I ask. Can you do that for dear old dad? How about that? I'll give you
0: bells and whistles and a fart noise. How about that?
1: That's fine. Uh, That's good enough. I feel
0: like there needs um, to be a fart noise with our podcast, right? I mean...
1: I would think so. If
0: there was just a sound that represented this podcast, I feel like it'd be a cough.
1: Unfortunately, you're right. <laughs> it would <laughs> And on cue, I don't know if it would be a cough proper or if it would be me like clearing my throat. Right. Like uh, just one of your, like one
0: of those, one of your disgusting, like swallowing mid sentence. Yeah. And I do
1: apologize for all that. Um, Anyway, we got a lot to get to. We uh, Let's we get have to on... it
0: because I feel like we're taking a while to get going here. This is a yeah. long, like we're, we're trying, we're like Fred Flintstone trying to like pedal our feet and it's just taking us a while to get going here.
1: Yeah, it really is. It's like a, lo- you know, a locomotive eventually goes really fast, but it takes a long time to get up to speed. We're like that today. We have on uh, a special guest named Harvey Green. Some of you have maybe never heard of him. He invented
0: he is... the color green.
1: You know what? He pretty much invented the genre of, uh, of media relations public relations directors he wow. this guy that's
0: a, that's he, a lot less exciting than if he was the inventor of the color green it sounds I interesting it does sound interesting don't get me wrong and i heard the interview but if he invented the color green that would be a hell of a get by us
1: i'm going to admit that but harvey green invented uh what he does for a living and he's retired now but this is a guy who tells stories about being fired uh, a bunch of times by george steinbrenner and you know he was with the Dolphins for a quarter of a century, and he had to navigate Don Shula losing his job and Jimmy Johnson coming in. Even though all he right, was spoiler alert,
0: Jesus. Just like I <clears clears throat> <throat> mean, I'm trying to tease here. He gives a lot of good stories, like Jesus, like <laughs> giving away stick all the good her, stuff. Stick around
1: for Harvey Green, the inventor uh, of the color green. In addition, and um, <laughs> uh, no, he he may have. I, you know what? In in our conversation, we don't Harvey, know
0: that he didn't.
1: No, we don't. We never asked him that directly. A huge
0: like, omission like, by us if he did invent the color. I green. know
1: it would have been great, right? But what, what should we get to first? Should we get to Levitar leaving ESPN? Should we get to the Dolphins? Uh, Let's get to the Bengals Dolphins. Game? Let's get to the Let's dolphins. do some Dolphins. What a crazy game. Uh, you were probably uh, red zoning all afternoon and, and barely watching any of the Dolphins. That's dolphin not game, true. But- Look,
0: don't you do that to me. I watch the Dolphins <laughs> like... like Especially now in the playoff hunt, like I'm, I'm, I'm watching every play of the Dolphins. I mean, during commercials, I might go to the Red Zone channel because I'm not <laughs> watching commercials, but I'm watching every snap. And I, I have to say, it was a crazy game. There was a crazy fight. I feel like that's what you want to talk about because outside of that fight, it wasn't that crazy of a game. It was a pretty standard game. Um, overall, I'm not gonna say I'm worried about Tua, but I just want, I'm hoping that he has a thumb injury because he doesn't look that good right now. Accuracy, what? Excuse me. He doesn't look that good right now, accuracy wise. So, like, and I'm not, I'm not. The jury is still like, you know, I'm not. I'm not panicking. I'm just saying I'm a little hesitant, and I'm hoping that he has a thumb injury, almost because of how he looks. If he's healthy, it's not a good sign.
1: I agree that he seemed out of sync early in the game. His accuracy seemed a little bit off, the timing with his receivers. But his stats ended up pretty good. He was 26 of 39 for just under 300 yards with a TD and and again, no picks. But
0: but there were just like a few times though, where like the guy's open and it just is clearly an off throw. Right. That's true. Starting quarterbacks in the NFL, like the future of your team, like that's alarming. And if he has a thumb injury, that's a viable reason for that. So I'm not panicking. I'm just saying there were like a handful of plays where you're just like, I like rewind it. I'm like, I'm I'm like, I need to rewatch that. Like, did I miss something? Was it deflected? And it's like, nope, he just missed the guy.
1: Yeah, there, there were a couple of plays like that for sure. Um, and also, it was another result. You know, they end up beating the Bengals 19-7. to 7 and um,
0: Got that 10-point cover,
1: baby, minus 10, Dolphins, boop, boop. <laughs> no, they did. Look, they handily beat a really bad team. They did not perform well enough where you think to yourself, wow, this team has a chance to do something in the playoffs. They have to be better. They're 8-4 right now, but uh, the last four games are all losable. Uh, they play the Chiefs next. Uh, that's an L waiting to happen. Uh, they play New England, which is not an easy game anymore. New England or, still is not an easy game, I should say. Uh, and then they end on the road at Las Vegas. which You just, has been did, down that lately. Thing. You just did that thing where you like swallow mid-sentiment. Like mid-sentiment. Okay. Uh, delete that out. And then they end at Buffalo, which theoretically – could be a game for the AFC East title. So
0: I got them two and two in the final stretch. Though I think they beat Kansas City next week. There, you heard it here first. They're, I'm telling you, they can play. That but you're muted. I can't hear you.
1: You think <laughs> they're going to beat Kansas City? Yeah, wow. you and uh, you and absolutely nobody else.
0: No, I, I I think Kansas City has looked mortal in recent weeks. Like they're still clearly great. You know, Mahomes is insane. I actually want to go to that game. I, I was like thinking of that. I know with COVID and all that stuff, it's scary, but. I want to like, I want to see Mahomes in person. That would be cool. I'm going to, I'm going to investigate that. And now I'm just having thoughts out loud. That's like what I'm doing
1: with this. Podcast. Right.
0: Yes, you are. But uh,
1: <laughs> nice of you to share.
0: We got to talk um, about Brian Flores is almost getting into a fight. And like he has shot up to the top of the list of coach in the NFL that I'm not messing with and that I would never want to be on the wrong side of a fight
1: with. I mean, Brian Flores owns that locker room. His guys uh, are going to run through the proverbial brick wall for him. And mm-hmm you can only imagine his halftime talk to the team because they did nothing in the first half. And, and, you know, it's not like they scored a ton in the second half, but they were a much, much better team in the second half. And you know, that, that he just kicked ass at halftime and they trust this guy. They respect the hell out of him, and, and him coming onto the field uh, as enraged as you can be behind a face mask because nobody could really see, what he was saying or yelling, but he was angry at, uh, at the shenanigans by the Bengals, especially that one guy number 80 who just clocked Jakeem grant on that attempted uh, punt catch. It was just um, heinous. And the idea that a few guys were uh, kicked out of the game, but one of them was not that Bengal was just absolutely ridiculous.
0: Well, no, because you don't get ejected for committing a penalty. That guy got a penalty. He, 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 it was an early hit. Like, that's illegal. He got a 15-yard penalty. The the ejections come for punches thrown. No one thought that guy should get ejected.
1: No, I did. I just said it. And here's the reason. He had had a previous personal foul. This was his second personal foul. And there's different kinds of personal fouls. And this one was egregious. This one was slam, body slamming a guy two seconds before he was going to catch the ball. It wasn't a bang, bang play. Yeah.
0: But it wasn't malicious where you were like, that was unnecessary. He was trying to make a play and just got there early. Like he,
1: it was a, it was a clean play that just, he timed poorly. Well, I, I I thought the reason that Brian Flores uh, ran onto the field and raged was that Brian Flores agrees with me that it it was an egregious play. And, and I think he should have been booted, but um, you know, if, if we're looking just at the bottom line, This has been a great season for the Dolphins. Not a good one, a great one. You know, they're eight and four for the first time in like 17 years. Unless they really blow it, I think they're headed to the playoffs. It's just been so many things have gone right.
0: So I guess we should talk to maybe one of the biggest Dolphins historians ever.
1: You know what? We should do that. Uh, Harvey Green, his name was heard on the Levitard show last week, actually, because um, I forget how did it come up where all of a sudden, I'm forced to, like, call myself the <laughs> the Dolphins' uh, greatest historian ever. How did that even come up on the show? I can't remember. I know Harvey's name came up.
0: I don't remember how it came up on the air, but Harvey Green was it was kind of a... I wouldn't say... I wouldn't, Dan kind of said he wasn't funny and not entertaining. And I think our interview, he kind of proved that he was. And he kind of gives Dan a little
1: taste of how he felt about him. Exactly. Now, I've known Harvey for years, and um, he's an amusing fellow. Tele- <laughs> i'm gonna say that about him so um let's bring him in and enjoy him harvey uh you came up on the air the other day i don't know whether you were listening hey, or levitard was what did he he said something disparaging against you. Did he refer to you as not being funny? What was he and making he, he fun?
2: He said I wasn't funny. <laughs> it depends. It depends who's paying me. I'm a lot less funny when I'm getting paid by the Dolphins than when I'm not.
1: No, Harvey's a funny guy. He's. Uh, uh, I've always been entertained by you. Um, but uh, what do you think about Levitard? I want. You, I, I invite you to. Bio uh, up here. Uh, no, no. This is this is recording, but. Uh, the more you rip him, the better.
2: I'll tell you, I always liked Dan. You know, I, I probably liked him more than Coach Shue with it because, you know, you <laughs> know Dan. And his rever- reverence for Coach Shue, I think, lasted one practice. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he didn't take it well when he got called up to talk to him when he ticked him off for something he wrote early. And, you know, I, I understood where Dan was coming from. But, you know, obviously Coach wondered why some 24-year-old kid was criticizing something he was doing made it a little tough for him to understand. And I give Dan credit. He, you know, he respected him and then you've been in that office. You know what it's like to get the glare. Oh but, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, ever since then I gave Dan credit because he didn't get mad. He didn't get ticked off. He didn't get confrontational. He politely and calmly, maybe the only two times Dan has ever been polite and calm, uh, <laughs> tried to explain why he did what he
1: did and why he wrote what he did. Right. And, and, um, Shula did not like being second guess. That's for sure. Um, We're happy to be joined on the podcast today by Harvey Green, who I've been knowing a long time. And I can honestly say he's uh, something of a South Florida sports legend Uh, for for almost 30 years, I think it was. Harvey, you were the um, uh, PR maven, the media relations maven, worked his way up to vice president of the Dolphins. And um, I remember you were the big shot who mostly dealt with the head coach and the quarterback and uh, famously said, "Uh, only one more question, guys. Because coach has a meeting to go to. Now uh, Now that you're out of the business, you can tell me um, how often were those meetings totally made up just to uh, get the quarterback and the coach away from the media?
2: Well, I'll tell you, I remember when Jay Feeder came to us, and I used to tell it for the players, I'm sorry, guys, he's got to get taped. That was my way of breaking up. Right. The players, for coaches, it was meetings. Uh, and I'd say about there was a 50% efficiency on that. So I remember <laughs> the first time I did it with Jay in the locker room, I said, sorry, guys, Jay's got to get taped. And he looked down and he said, what are you talking about? They already hand taped. Look at my feet. Ah. So I said, Jay, this is the first time I ever dealt with you. And already you screwed me.
1: You worked with George Steinbrenner and the Yankees. You've done a lot of stuff. And, and I wonder if you could just give us a quick um, catalog of, uh, uh, of the main jobs you've had in your uh, illustrious career.
2: You know, I, I was very lucky because... Uh, I started with a couple of jobs before the Yankees, but when I joined the Yankees, the people I worked there were George Steinbrenner, Billy Martin, Lou Pinella. I came to the Dolphins, and the people I worked for there were Don Shula, Jimmy Johnson, Nick Saban, and Bill Parcells, all who won championships, but never with me. I get to think I'm a jinx for everybody, but I'll tell you what, I've been really lucky because you learn things from each of those people. They were difficult in, in their own way to work with, but, but truly I got along well with all of them. I understood what they were coming from. And if you can't get lessons from being around those people, uh, you're missing out and you're crazy. And, and, and when I do give occasional speeches, I tell a story about each of those people and the lesson I learned from each of them.
0: When I say George Steinbrenner, like, what's the best story that, that kind of explains the kind of guy he was?
2: Well, I got fired uh, five different times by him. And each day, you <laughs> show up to work the next day. I remember getting fired once at four o'clock in the afternoon, called up my girlfriend then and said, what are you doing for dinner tonight? And she said, dinner? Don't you have a game tonight? I said, yeah, but I got good news for you. George fired me. So I had the night off. Come on, let's go out to dinner. So We went out to dinner. I just showed up at the office the next day like nothing happened. But I'll tell you <laughs> what I learned from him. And, and, and I'm serious about this. Uh, I remember one day it was after my starting my fourth year with the Yankees. I was the first PR director to make it four years in New York with it. And it was a February night. There was nothing in the world going on. That was the era before a cell phone. And so every time you went out somewhere, you had to tell the Yankee switchboard, the security officer there, how George could reach you if he wanted you for any crazy reason he <laughs> might have. So I was going to a Nick game that night and I knew the PR guy from the Knicks. I went down to the scorers table and said, Look, I'm sitting in section you know one thirty-two what's the phone number here so I could give it to George in case he needs me? He can call you. If he does, can you come and get me? And sure enough, by the second quarter, he called. And I I went down to the press table, and the next game was going on. And in the middle of the game, he's yelling at me because the Mets had more space that evening than the Yankees did in the New York <laughs> Daily News. And they got kicked off. And that's when I decided that I wanted to leave the Yankees, and I'll tell you why. And the lesson I learned from that is, If you don't enjoy your job and have the same dedication to your job that your boss does, it's time to leave. At that point, I realized George, to his credit, and one reason they were so successful is he thought about the Yankees 24-7. No hobbies, no real family life, nothing. I wasn't prepared to do that, and I recognized that at the time. And the lesson I learned was you better have the same dedication to your job that your boss does. Otherwise, you're going to fail.
0: Going back to him firing you multiple times in a day, like obviously these weren't real firings, but like what little things were you doing that annoyed him that made him say, ah, you're fired?
2: When he would tell you to do something, you do it and it didn't work out. And then he'd get mad at you for doing it in the first place. I'll tell you <laughs> a quick story. Uh, at Yankee Stadium, we had a red phone at certain places. One was in my office and one was in a press box. The manager had a red phone. The GM had a red phone. It was a direct line to George, wherever he was. And if that red phone rang, you would run over your grandmother to pick it up because if it went more than two rings, when you did pick it up, he'd start yelling at you. So anyway, I'm sitting in a press box and, you know, he hated Dave Winfield. Uh, you know, that was obviously pretty common now. I'm sitting in the press box during a game and the red phone rang and everybody in the press box knows what happens when that red phone rings. They know it's at the other end. So I pick it up and everyone knows it's George Steinbrenner and they all know his night, their night's about to be ruined because something is going to happen. So anyway, George, so, so uh, the reason it rang is Winfield had come up with runs in first and second in the second inning and bounced into a double play. So Steinbrenner who was ticked at Winfield called me up and said, what's Winfield batting with runners in scoring position? So I looked it up, I said, 270, okay. And he hung up the phone. In the meantime, all these riders are coming over to me and says, uh-oh. What's going on? Is my night ruined? Uh, is it going to have one of his outbursts? I said, I don't know. And George called me right, right back up. And he said, What the hell are you doing? Those guys know you're talking to me? I said, Well, yeah. He said, Well, why don't you duck down so they can't see who you're talking to? <laughs> I, I said, Mrs. Steinbrenner, they know what the red phone is. Well, anyway, <laughs> Winfield gets up in the fifth inning, running on first and third and, and two out, and he pops up to the end then George calls me back again. He says, What's he batting now? 1972. <laughs> All right. Well, you know what? I want you to get that out. Get out of just tell everybody in the press box that Winfield's hitting 271, which is 30 points lower in average with runners in scoring position. To make sure they know it's not coming from me, just tell them that he's not a clutch hitter. It's coming from you. <laughs> Obviously, they're all going to know I'm not just doing this on my own. So I'm going walking up down the press box and said, "Do you know that Dave is batting 30 percent, 30 points lower with runners in scoring position than he is overall?" Oh God. Did Tom's going to tell you to do that? I what do you guys think? I didn't do it on my own, but you got to write it like it's coming from me. So Winfield gets up in the eighth inning, run around second and third. We're down by one run. He doubles in both runs. As soon as that second run crosses the plate, that phone rings. I pick it up and said, Harvey, did you tell those people anything about Winfield? I said, well, Yes, sir, I, and that's as far as I got, you goddamn idiot, how could you do something like that? You're stupid, you're so goddamn stupid. I made a mistake, you're fired, just don't even show up tomorrow. And he slammed the phone down. I turned to everybody, and I said, I'll see you tomorrow, guys, I'm out of here, I just got fired. <laughs> Harvey, uh... And that's the shortest story I can tell you. <laughs>
1: that's awesome, that is a great story. That um, Steinbrenner story uh, reminds me of the time that you knew uh, you had achieved worldwide fame uh, when you appeared on a Trivial Pursuit card. Tell, tell that story, Greg.
2: I was just about to bring that up. I still have that card. In fact, somebody sent me about four of I had never seen it. I was in a press box at a Dolphin game one day. This had to be my third or fourth year with the uh, with the Dolphins, and Greg comes up to me and says, "Do you know you're on a Trivial Pursuit card?" And I said, <laughs> "What are you talking about? I have a whole stack of them here." And 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 Greg pointed out this trivial pursuit card, where a real one, where the question was, what Yankee PR director, what baseball owner imposed a nine o'clock curfew on public relations Harvey Green in 1984? (laughs) Wow! And I looked at, I said, where the hell did you find this? And and uh, I turned it over, and sure enough, the answer was George Steinbrenner. So every time I go places, Greg, I still have that card. It's laminated (laughs) in my wallet. Nice. Excellent. And I pull it out and I said, This friend of mine gave it to me. And when he told me I was on a trivial pursuit card, I thought he was either drunk or stoned until I found out it was real. I still have it <laughs> to this day. And I pull it. It, 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 when I was single, it was great at picking up women. Oh, was,
1: I can it, imagine. It That's a man. great that, that...
2: I still have it with me. And I never forgot the way you gave it to me and when you gave it to
1: me. Well, you're welcome. <laughs> Harvey, um, you go from one sporting giant to the next Steinbrenner to Don Shula. Um, what, what was that transition like for you professionally? And I know you admired Shula greatly. I'm wondering how it hit you when he passed away uh, earlier this year.
2: You know, when I joined the, the Dolphins, everyone said, boy, Shula's going to be tough to, to work with. You know, he, he, he's very exacting. But if you work for Steinberg, you learn how to deal with that. And, and the one thing I respected most about Shula, and, and you knew this too, Greg, is unlike Steinberg, who would yell at you for anything, Shula would only get on your case if you really made a mistake. And in his case, I always compare it to a thunderstorm because his face would look like there was a black cloud coming coming across it. You get that glare, but it would last for about 30 seconds and then it was over. And unless you continually screwed up, you know, he, he accepted that and it was like a thunderstorm. It would pass and you always knew it was over because after he would yell at you for something you did, maybe... 10 minutes away to be out on the practice field, he'd come over to you, he'd pat you on the back and say, Hey, we're going to have a good practice today.
1: Well, uh, I've, I've seen that glare and, and I've also experienced um, the, the sort of uh, makeup for the glare where, where uh, Shula gently cupped you on the back of the neck and, and gave you a smile and, and you knew that everything was okay. Um, you know, Harvey, I don't have to tell you, it was pretty well known that uh, Shula did not go out on his terms and did not like, being replaced by Jimmy Johnson. Um, when Shula uh, was sort of gently uh, retired and, um, and you remained with the club and had to deal with JJ coming in, how tough was that for you? Because I don't imagine it was easy.
2: Well, you know, I, let me just make it a point. I, I love working for Jimmy. I learned a lot from him. We're still friends. Uh, and I respected tremendously what, what, what he was trying to accomplish and certainly what he did accomplish. But you're right, it, it, it didn't get off to a great start because I think that when you work for Don Shula, obviously there may be a loyalty there. To be honest, Jimmy did not bring his credit, and, and the fact that he gave me a chance didn't bring his people in from Dallas, which he very well could have, which he did do when he joined the Cowboys. He brought some of his people in uh, from the University of Miami. And I made a mistake that I didn't even know I made, but I understood where it came from. Uh, the media guide, when it came out, the title that Coach Shula had was co-chairman of the board. So in the team directory, I had at that time our owner, which was Wayne Heisinger, as owner chairman of the board. Then I had Don Shula as co-chairman of the board. And then I had Jimmy as uh, general manager head coach. And I remember I put a lot of effort into that media guide and I, I gave it to Jimmy just to let him know that I was actually good at my job. He turned it open, looked at the directory, And threw me out of his office and I had no idea why until I talked to Ann Rodriguez and I I thought I was going to get fired he was so mad and and he said coach thinks that by the way you listed it in the directory that he was reporting to to coach Shula and really not the other way around and he was right I I mean I, I, I should have recognized that I didn't but you know Jimmy was there and wanted to create his own imprint on the team as quickly as possible. And I understood exactly what he was doing. I mean, one thing about Jimmy Greg is he never missed anything. He was, he was probably yes. of all the people I've been around probably the sharpest mind uh, of anybody. Uh, he could have been a CEO of any company, if that's what he wanted to do.
1: you muted dad. <laughs> oh yeah. I got, I, I muted myself there to, to clear my throat and then I forgot to unmute. Christopher, did you have something you wanted to jump in with?
0: Yeah, I want to, uh, this is really cool. Some cool stories. I want to sh- throw some rapid fire stuff at you real fast. Uh, biggest PR nightmare you had to deal with in your career?
2: Well, this was one, and it involves Jimmy and Armando. So it wasn't a nightmare, but it was it was probably the toughest decision I ever had to make. And, and Jimmy, you know, like I said, we got along great. I, I, I We trusted each other. So he called me one night and told me that he was going to resign the next day. He just wanted to get me ready. Uh, for that announcement, so I wasn't quite flat-footed with the release. But I said, obviously, don't tell anybody. I haven't told Wayne. I haven't told anybody. I'm just telling you because I trust you that this stays between the two of us. And Greg knows this. If you don't have your integrity in this business, you have nothing. And, and, and I told Jimmy I would do that, and I was determined to keep my word. So probably about an hour and a half later, the phone rings. And it's Armando Solgero calling me, who your, your listener certainly knows. is a cohort of yours at the Herald. The phone rang, and I could see it was Armando on, on my caller ID, uh, but I, 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 I knew why he's calling. If he's calling me at 9 o'clock at night, it's he must have found this out, and I didn't pick up the phone, and I could hear him leave a voicemail saying, Harvey, I heard Jimmy's resigned tomorrow. Can you call me back and just let me know if that's true or not? Now I'm between a rock and a hard place. I don't want to call him back because if I do, one of two things are gonna happen. He's gonna ask me if Jimmy resigning tomorrow and I can't tell him, yeah, you, you, he is, or you could run with it or anything that's gonna make me give away anything that I promised Jimmy I wouldn't do. The other side of the coin is I could say, gee, I really don't know anything about it or no, not to my knowledge, and, and throw him off and lie to Armando, which I wasn't gonna do either because again, that would compromise my integrity and, and, and that's something I value to this day. So what am I gonna do?
0: I feel like you got to just go no answer and don't call him back.
2: That's exactly what I did. I didn't answer the phone. I did. You should be a PR guy. That's pretty impressive. I didn't answer the phone. To this day, Armando was mad at me that I never picked up the phone, but that's a lot better than either he or Jimmy mad at me that I violated the trust. So I can handle that anger, even though it's now about 20 years old, than I could if I, if I had violated my integrity. But I had to make the decision in a in snap. It was, you know, I, I didn't know what else I could have done. And, and I think who said that. That's probably the toughest decision I ever, I, I ever had to make. The toughest circumstance, and I really don't want to get into it because it was, it was hard for me professionally, was, was the bully gate situation, obviously. Oh, yeah. That really exploded into something that was much more in a sports story. The first time I ever had to deal with something that was a national story. And at the NFL PR meetings every year, there's always a, a panel of crisis communication, where whatever PR director had to deal with a, a national story the previous year, something bad like the Vikings PR director having to talk about how we dealt with the death of Corey Stringer from a, from a practice situation. Well, I got asked to deal with that. And that's the one call you never want to get from the league office when they ask you to talk on a crisis communication panel. The, the one story I can tell you, which is probably the toughest locker room situation, is something Jimmy did. And, and Greg, you might remember this. We were seven and one and, and, and playing well one year about behind Jason and Zach. And, and we played the Titans on a Thursday night game and they were seven and one. And this is a national game and we beat the Titans pretty handily. So the next four or five days, we have all these days to kill, including the weekend before our next game, which is up at Buffalo. Everyone is writing how great we are. We have national media coming in. ESPN is coming in. CBS is coming in. They want to interview people for their pregame show. And Jimmy called me in one day and said, boy, you're killing me. All these people are getting so many boys. They're not going to be mentally ready for Sunday's game. I mean, they're all going to think they're great. They're going to waltz into Buffalo and get their asses handed to them because they're on this pedestal, and the Bills can't wait to knock them off. Well, sure enough, we go up to Buffalo, and we get swamped. They beat us by 20, 22 points. We walk in the locker room, and Jimmy is going nuts. He is irate, and as he should be, because he predicted this. And he's yelling at the players, and then, unfortunately, he sees me. And he turns and says, this is all your fault. This is your fault because you let this happen. You let these people come in and tell our players how great they were. And they were so busy saying how great we are and how great we're playing that we weren't ready for the Bills. I'm going to tell you right now, for the next week, we're playing the Patriots, whoever. I don't want any focus, any questions on anything else except the New England Patriots. I don't want them talking about anything else except the Patriots. And if you hear any questions that have to do with something other than that, you stop it right then and there. And so the next week, I'm in the locker room and Greg, you might have been there. So if someone's asking anything about the, the Bills or the Titans or how great we were, how Jason Taylor has four sacks in his last six games, I had to stop the interview. I said, sorry guys, we're only supposed to focus on the Patriots. Well, sure enough, we won the game. I couldn't resist. As we're jogging off, I said, Jimmy, if you're blaming me for last week's loss, since I did my job this week and kept the focus on the Patriots, am I getting a game ball because of it? Wow. Jimmy laughed. He said, I don't think so. So that's a pretty good line.
1: (laughs) That's funny. (laughs) I I will say that uh, Jimmy uh, had his pulse on the psychology of, of a team more than any other coach I've dealt with, I think. Ad-
0: admit it, Harvey. My dad was the ringleader of telling these players how good they were. He was probably the one that got you in trouble with his articles.
1: <laughs>
0: Last one. Besides Greg Cody, writer who was the biggest pain in your ass? <laughs>
2: There's no second.
0: <laughs> What's the best gift you've ever gotten from like a, an elite coach?
2: Uh, Probably the best gift I ever got wasn't wasn't really a gift. It was one I... Eventually left the Yankees, and there's a whole story behind that because Steinbrenner kept me captive for about three months before he let me go to the Dolphins, So, <laughs> and I left on good terms with Steinbrenner uh, eventually because I did basically what he told me to do. Uh, I got a really, really nice letter from him saying, I really want to thank you for all your your, your 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 contributions to the Yankees and, and for helping me and, and for all your professionalism. Uh, you'll always be a Yankee in my mind, and you'll always have a friend at Yankee Stadium. And I framed that letter. I put it up in my office. And that's and say, cool. Hey, uh, you know, he doesn't write many letters like that. They, they usually are very, very different, but, uh, because I left on good terms and basically respected him. I, I, I think to me, that's the most, uh, the,
1: the thing that's that, really I'm, cool. I'm most prideful about Harvey, we're going to, we're going to let you go. I, I thank you. Uh, we're going to let for, you go because on with
0: we're going to let you go. Cause my dad's voice is just deteriorating right before us
1: <laughs> We're uh, we're struggling right now. But, uh, You know, as everyone knows, I'm um, the all-time greatest uh, Dolphins historian, so coming from me, it must mean a lot to you to be thanked so profusely for being on my podcast.
2: Greg, I've always admired your work. I've always respected it, and and, uh, the fact that you've lasted so long in a crazy business, I don't know if you know what you're doing, but whatever it is, you're doing it right, so keep it up.
1: I've been faking people uh, for a long time. Thank you, Harvey, Uh, and uh, when you start a podcast, please do have me on. <laughs> you
2: see me sign a podcast. We both did something wrong.
1: <laughs> Thanks, Tari. All right, thank you, Harvey Green, uh, my old friend. Uh, appreciate you being on the podcast. Harvey's got some great stories to tell uh, about his long, long career in this business. And before we uh, move on to Mount Gregmore, which I know everyone has got to be looking forward to. It. I do want to talk. <laughs> I do want to talk a little bit about the news of the week with Levitard. Obviously 99% of you listening to this know that uh, Levitard announced this week, last week, he's leaving ESPN and look, Christopher, I'm not speaking here for you. I'm not, I'm certainly not speaking for Levitard or the show just for myself, but I want to say it's, uh, it's sort of a messy divorce. And, um, I think ESPN is, is going to regret this. I do. I, I think they have let go. And, and it, I, I think it was Dan's choice, but you know, they've let go uh, a generational talent in Levitard. And uh, I think what you're going to see is that Levitard has some of the most loyal fans uh, on the air, anyone's air. And uh, I think the Levitard army is going to follow him wherever he ends up. And um, I'm looking forward to the continuation of the journey because Dan is somebody who's been a great friend of mine for a long time, but also somebody that I can step back and, and, and sort of dispassionately um, respect and admire for his talent and his ability. And he's going to come out of this bigger and better than ever. And um, I really look forward to it. Me too. Anything else? Sad? Not really. <laughs> we can Okay, we can leave it at that. And now, you want to get on to Mount Gregmore?
0: Are we almost done with this
1: thing? Well, yes. Uh, in, in my intro to Mount Christ. Gregmore, we're going to... I know. It's, it's Who knew the alphabet was this long? I mean, I mean really?
0: Christ, you have to be tired of this bit by now. Like, come on, admit <laughs> it.
1: I feel like there's been 150 letters in this alphabet.
0: Is this the worst bit ever done in the history of podcasts?
1: I really don't think so, uh, but it's up there.
0: Poorly no, named, uh, unoriginal...
1: Um, No, I think it's beautifully named Mount Gregmore. It's beautiful. Mm -hmm. It really is. So anyway, let's get to it. The host
0: host playing defense against the bit. Yeah, I mean, she's got everything. It's got all the qualifications.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, it's the latest Mount Gregmore name game. And we arrive at the last truly major letter of the alphabet, W. After this. It'll be a mad scramble to finish with X's, Y's, and Z's.
0: You don't think Y is a, is a main letter? We don't, we don't consider I really y. don't, know. Wow. No. Disrespecting yeah. the Y. A lot of yeah, big why Y words. Yeah, I didn't works. know what it is. You U, you know, a- uh, yellow, um, New York, York. I mean, <laughs> the Y New is York. a big, it's a big letter. Yeah, it really is. Disrespected so you Y. y. It's, it's, it's one of the most disrespectful things you've done in a while on this podcast. You okay, think well, well, all right. Why'd you do it?
1: Uh, That's a good question. I don't know why, but uh, we're gonna figure it out. Hey, with each letter, we bring you the top five American first names of that letter over the past century based on U.S. government records. Then the Mount Grabmore of the number one name. Well, W gives us only four names in the overall top 100. So, number four, Wayne. Number three, Willie. (laughs) That's right, Willie. Number two, Walter, and the number one <laughs> W by a lot. It's the fifth most popular first name overall, of course, William. Mm. Now, oh, no Bills, no Billies, oh, Christ! no Wilfrids, no last name Williams either. Hey, this was a tough list, man. Three former U.S. presidents failed to make the mountain. Not even the great William H. Macy could scale it. Okay, here we go. First. Our honorable mention. He earns it for the creativity he brings to the name William. He's the American rapper, best known as leader of the group Black Eyed Peas. It's Will I Am. <laughs> Will I that's Am right. over former presidents? Yes, <laughs> that's right. Oh, no, Greg, no. Greg's getting wacky with Will Damn. I Am. And yeah. number five, he was an American jurist who served 33 years on the Supreme Court and was Chief Justice from 1986 till his death in 2005. You know it, William Rehnquist. Number four, Christ. He's he's the Canadian actor who became a cultural icon and something of a cult figure for his portrayal of Captain James T. Kirk of the USS Enterprise in the Star Trek franchise, William Shatner. Good voice. Is that okay with you? It is. Solid, right? Okay. Number three, he was an American novelist and essayist who won the Nobel Prize for Literature, with epics like The Sound and the Fury. A giant of American literature, and especially Southern literature, William Faulkner. (laughs) Number two. What the Faulkner? He's the Duke of Cambridge, a member of the British royal family, eldest son of Prince Charles, second in line to the King of England. And moving up fast, it's
0: Prince William the royal family is overrated there i say. think like i yeah. mean it's just like the the crown everyone's talking about the crown and you know the duchess of way you know it's just just get over yourselves all right what do they really do just get over yourselves royal family that's it
1: well okay that that that's a strong take but i have to tell you that uh i love the royal family um no
0: you don't you're a fraud you're faking it no. you don't actually love it like you didn't no. get up like you didn't wake up early for like you know for what was it like billy gill on our show was into something was it was it the royal wedding a few years ago like two years ago there was this thing that billy was like waking up at like 3 a.m to watch with the royal family i think it was right that latest wedding that took place but it's just get over like all of it it. and you're faking right now you're not one of those people you're not into this you're gonna pretend you're gonna pretend on this podcast like you're this dedicated royal
1: family follower because you've watched three episodes uh... around one of my favorite shows of all time was Downton Abbey. Here we go. I'm, I'm sorry it went off the air. I did get up early for the royal wedding, and I especially got up early to pay reverence when uh, Princess Diana, uh, they had her funeral uh, several years ago. I, I remember it. That's because
0: Elton John was singing it. Not that, I don't want to disrespect Princess Diana, but that's what had Greg Cody getting up at 3 a.m.
1: I mean, that's, that was part of it. Anyway, <laughs> we've got waylaid here so it's the duke of cambridge prince william number 2 and now the number 1 w hamlet macbeth othello king lear romeo and juliet he was the british playwright and actor thought to be the the greatest writer in the history of the english language the bard of avon himself william shakespeare that's a whole another
0: get over yourself, but I won't go down that path right
1: now. Oh, man. You can't disrespect Bill
0: Shakespeare. I mean, I that if, guy. If, if I read a full page of your writing and I have no idea what just happened in the scene, you need to do a better job of writing. How about that, William?
1: Right. Yeah. A lot of people say the same thing about the Bible. But, you know, th- there was a style of writing uh, way back in the olden days. Yeah, it was, that called, it was, get, just... it was called get over yourself. Okay. <laughs> All right. That's fair. Anyway uh we are done with the if i ever ever
0: saw william shakespeare in a park writing that stuff i'd punch him right in the face (laughs) i would box william shakespeare for charity would you
1: Hmm? you
0: know how big was he i'm gonna look i'm
1: gonna look up what his size was well i can tell you that he's been dead for 404 years so you would be the early betting line favorite in that fight i'm gonna say that in fact it might be off the board i don't know if you could get a line on on you against a guy who's been dead for 400 years i've never seen a height and weight on shakespeare i'm struggling to find it i don't think that was recorded information back then when you think oh, another about thing it. hey
0: hey hey, wikipedia i'm not donating okay happy holidays but enough with this every time i go to wikipedia in, the, in december they ask for money i'm very cranky no, this like what's happening what's going on with me right now
1: yeah you really are um should we put a bow on this what are we yeah going let's here?
0: get the hell out of here
1: okay um next week we wrap up i'm, I'm gonna tease here by saying next week there's a good chance we're going to combine the X's, Y's and Z's and wrap up Mount Gregmore. Why are you Next, saying? Why, you you say, why are
0: you saying there's a good chance? We've already discussed off air that that's definitely what we're doing.
1: I know, but I'm, try- I'm trying to just tease the, uh, you know, the the unpredictability of uh, what might or might not happen. Did you just um, burp? I-, I sort of did. <laughs> I wish you hadn't noticed that. <laughs> it was it was like an in. I thought it was an in. All right, word.
0: let's go. Don't describe your burp. People know what a burp is.
1: Okay. Should I tease our guests next week? Cause I'm excited about it. Oh, you should. You know what? Anybody out there have a dog or a cat? Oh, I know Greg Cody does. He's got one of each and I am thrilled right now. I hope Ron McGill's not angry that I'm cheating on him. We are thrilled next week to have on an animal psychologist to talk about weird stuff that happens to all of our dogs and cats, the weird behavior that we all live with. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Um, Hey, thanks to Harvey Green for joining us. Uh, we talked just, a lot. You just lot did lot that of,
0: thing again where you swallowed like mid-sentence. Did I really? Yeah.
1: Man, I got to get over that. Either that or you have to do a, a better job editing all that out. Uh, hey, Pod family uh, who've been around now for 40 episodes with us and we're just getting started. Please continue to rate, subscribe, review, and listen every week. We really appreciate it. And, and that's the God's truth. And um, we'll see you all and uh, hear you all. And you'll hear us as well next week.
0: Yeah, we probably won't hear the, the audience next
1: week. No, they, they'd have to be really loud for us to hear them in the podcast.
0: They could just call you at home since I revealed your phone number a couple weeks ago. And... Yeah,
1: but by the way, thank you for that. Um, a couple of uh, uh, fans have already done that. And, and thankfully, they are fans. They're not creditors.
0: So. Anyone uh, pitch you any good uh, you know business opportunities?
1: You know what? I don't. Uh, my wife listens to all the messages. I wouldn't know how to listen to a, a, a message I got on the phone if you paid me. That's Germany. Thanks a lot. Bye bye.